On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man with a reminder that you don't bring a knife to a chainsaw fight. Here is the captain. I can't afford to cut up people these days with gas prices being so high. It's good to be seen. Good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today we are slow sipping some Nosferatu by the great brewers at Great Lakes Brewing Company. This is the beer with a bite, baby. It's an Imperial Red IPA, 8% ABV, 4 out of 5 bottle caps on that garage grade. And here's some of our friends that helped us out this week. First up, a cheers to Selena in Stoughton, Wisconsin. Big shout out to Mark in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. Next, Captain, we have a cheers to Teresa in San Antonio, Texas. And a big We Like Your Jib to Dana in Lafayette, Indiana. Here's another We Like Your Jib to Rachel in Marbella, Bristol, United Kingdom. And last but certainly not least, we have Melina in Wakefield, Massachusetts. Thank you to everybody for helping us out with this week's beer fund for that. We got a full garage fridge, and we are sending out lots of thank yous. Yeah, B-W-E-R-U-N, Beer Run. If you'd like to support the garage and get something in return, go to our website, truecrimegarage.com, and click on the store page and pick you up something snazzy. And, Colonel, that is enough of the business. Thank you, snazzy captain. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. The most prolific serial killer in American history. Samuel Little has confessed to 93 murders. Oh, she fight for her life. You don't fight for my pleasure. It's disturbing to listen to, but investigators want to hear it all and more. She, 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 she was laughing while I was killing her. 
most prolific serial killer in American history. I reached over, I choked her, and once uh, she was dead, I pulled her out of the car, looked around, jumped back in the car. Left. Little says he has a photographic memory and has drawn sketches of his victims. Drawn sketches of his victims. Bundy. Gacy. The Green River Killer. All topping the list of some of the most prolific serial killers of all time. But the number of victims taken by each of these monsters is dwarfed by the evil work of another killer. A killer who was so stealthy and cunning that often not only did no one know who had committed the murder, in some cases, no one knew that his victims had even been murdered. This man stayed under the radar for decades, killed dozens of victims in multiple states over a 35-year period. The only reason that we know about most of these murders is because he decided to talk. This is True Crime Garage, and this is the story of Sam Little, the killer of women. When we left off yesterday, cold case detectives in L.A. were working on building a case of three homicides committed by Sam Little, and they are starting to connect him to other similar cold case homicides in other states. So now in 2013, after Sam Little has continually murdered America's women for roughly four decades, Sam Little was indicted once again and facing trial in California for the 1987 and 1989 murders of Carol, Guadalupe, and Audrey. In Mississippi, investigators were going back to reopen cold cases that fit Sam's M.O. and murders that occurred during the time that he lived in Mississippi. His first arrest there was in 1977. His last was in 1982. These arrests, amongst other things, teach us and tell us that he was in fact in Mississippi for a period of time. A Mississippi investigator told the Sun-Herald newspaper, quote, we know he left some for dead, but they survived. They are good witnesses now. They remember everything that happened to them like it was yesterday. They have always identified Sam Little as their attacker. Sam Little is a monster. There's no telling how many people he's attacked or killed. Now that Little had finally been nailed for murders that very strongly resembled Mississippi's 1982 cold case murder of 24-year-old Melinda Lupree, detectives started trying to put together a case against Sam Little, tracking down old witnesses and retesting physical evidence in Melinda's case. But of course, in the interim, between the murder in 1982 and 2013, decades had passed, and Little had killed many women during that time. The failure of Florida and Mississippi authorities to nail Sam Little in the early 80s would be replicated over and over again throughout the United States for decades. Now, we know that they tried to put Sam Little on trial back in San Diego, but that didn't work out. So this will be the first real investigation into Sam Little and his crimes. And this starts in 2012, 2013. 
This will be significantly different from any other investigation that took place in Sam Little's existence. So this is after Little's arrest in 2012 in California. And the discovery that three unsolved murders could definitively be linked to him by DNA. California investigators put together the other attacks he had carried out on the two San Diego women back in 1984. Remember Tanya and Lori that we talked about yesterday. As they dug into Little, they began to realize that this guy whose background and life history was very vague and who was nomadic potentially had as many as 40 other murder victims. They started reaching out across the country to try to get a handle on just how widespread his crimes may be and to see if he could be conclusively linked to other murders. But of course, Captain, this is going to be quite the challenge. So they started off by searching CODIS until the computer started smoking from so much action. There were no more cases in which Little's DNA could point them to a murder. And his fingerprints turned up in police files time and time again, but only for lesser crimes, petty crimes like theft. In the murder inquiries, as the LA Times put it, modern forensics played no role. The inquiries came down to shoe leather police work, interrogations, and digging through dusty files for clues like a Western Union moneygram from 1982, a witness who spotted a yellow Eldorado, a prostitute's last meal of carrots. That's what a lot of these cases are going to come down to. Single but very specific situations and items within these individual cases throughout the United States. Now, keep in mind, we are talking about many murder victims from an era before taking DNA samples on corpses was standard. If Little left a trail of bodies, they were going to have a hard time following it because the victims he was suspected of killing often preceded DNA databases. If they were identified by name, they still were likely to have been killed long before DNA analysis. So any connection to Little would be unknown from a physical evidence standpoint. And even if the victims did have names, you know, many of them became Jane Doe's, they could still have predated DNA testing or be the type of victim that no one bothers to take a DNA sample from. Many of his victims were sex workers and performing a rape kit was deemed useless in a lot of these cases. That sounds horrific. And that's going to be jaw dropping to many people to hear that statement. But it is in fact true. When you have a sex worker, you can't just simply say that, oh, we found semen from Sam Little on this victim. Therefore, he must have killed her. It doesn't work that way because his defense could be as simple as this. I had consensual sex with that woman. I paid her and then I left. And then later somebody else came along and killed that woman and left no DNA on her or no semen on her. And it's that simple. It's shocking, but it's true. I think it's hard to investigate somebody like Sam Little because he's a criminal 100% of the time. If you take somebody like BTK, for example, he's living part of his life as a normal, upstanding citizen. He doesn't commit crimes. He has this double life as a serial killer. Sam Little is a criminal 
100% of the time. He's street smart, too. And he's going to know how to talk with police. He's going to know how to dodge their questions. You point out a very good, interesting fact there, Captain. This is somebody that has sat across the table many times or sat in the back of a cruiser many times in his existence, not facing murder charges, not being suspected of murder. This is being picked up for other crimes. He's used to talking to police. Now, there's been a lot of piling on in Sam Little's case, and I get it. And I've been I've been part of that at times as well, where I go, oh, the atrocities. How could law enforcement let this guy kill for four decades? Well, it's not just that simple. They didn't let him kill. Some of these cases, and I think we need to look at this on a case-by-case basis and throw criticism where it's due, but I also think that there was a lot of good detective and police work that was done in many of these cases. I think in San Diego, we talked about the 1984 cases, the attempted murder cases. There was a lot of good police work on that case. They had the right guy in court. They just couldn't get a guilty verdict from the jury. Let's talk about some things that were working in Sam Little's favor and working very much against the investigators and the detectives looking into these homicides. Let's start with L.A. because L.A. is very intriguing here in the Sam Little case. In the late 80s, when Sam Little killed three victims that we know of, in Los Angeles, there were several serial killers all at work at the same time. So think about that. You have these stranger-on-stranger murders, which are incredibly difficult to investigate to start with. We have victims living a high-risk lifestyle. I'm not victim-blaming. It's just the truth, people. That makes it difficult to investigate their homicides. And then you have several other active unknown serial killers working all in the same area and all with similar victimology to their crimes. Ones that I can think of, for instance, you have Lonnie David Franklin Jr., better known as the Grim Sleeper, killed 10 plus in Los Angeles between 1985 and 2007. You want to not sleep tonight? Look up a picture of that guy. Michael Hughes is another He was convicted of killing seven females in California, mainly in Culver City during the late 80s and early 90s, but three of his victims were killed in Los Angeles. Chester Turner was convicted of 11 murders in Los Angeles over the course of about 11 years in the 80s and 90s. So that's three, and I guarantee you there were more. So the investigators had to start from scratch, pulling all unsolved cases from around the country in which the modus operandi fit Littles to see if they could link any to him. To do this, they had to have a very thorough understanding of his MO so they could use his methods to identify his victims. So what law enforcement is going to have to do is look at Sam Littles' known crimes or the ones that they believe he's responsible and use that as their template. Yeah, this will become their template for looking for similar victims who were killed in a similar manner, maybe left or dumped in a similar way. With reviewing these, they start to get a clear picture of this guy's M.O. and his victimology, what the L.A. prosecutor called Little's Blueprint. And this is what they came up with. Here's a quick list here, Captain. He cleverly and deliberately selected marginalized female victims who would not be missed or were unlikely to have families with resources to find them. He chose women addicted to drugs and or alcohol 
and then used those things to lure them. He preferred sex workers because they were an easy target and they would get into his car without a second thought. He opted for the physically vulnerable, often attacking skinny, weak, small, ill, or high or inebriated women who could not defend themselves, could not fight him off. He used his hands as his weapon of choice. This is practically untraceable when you compare it to things like knives and guns. And he often left the victim's cause of death unknown. Sometimes they were finding these victims decomposed later, and because they were strangled, it was difficult for them to tell that they were even a homicide victim. That's part of the reason why some of these cases were not even really investigated. You have a drug addict that you find dead on the streets who's been dead for two weeks or stuffed in an abandoned house somewhere and been there for months. You don't find any bullets in your victim or murder weapon nearby or a skull crushed or stab marks on any of the bones. And you go, well, the, the, the hypothesis here, the assumption here would be that this person died of a drug overdose in this abandoned building. And we're just now finding her, unfortunately. Well, and then if the victim lives, it becomes he said, she said, and Little, even though he doesn't have much of a stand-up character, he thinks he can at least win the argument. Well, she was a drug user, she attacked me, or she was a sex worker, and she was trying to steal my money. Yeah, as some of these survivors were not reporting some of the crimes— and then you have some survivors reporting them. Keep in mind, this dude, it was not uncommon for him only to be in a city for three to ten days. He didn't have a residence. If he attacks somebody and they survive, or he sees a notice of there's some sexual predator on the loose, and it, oh, it looks like me, or they got a match of my vehicle, he just skips town and goes on to the next city. This is from the uh, FBI, a direct quote from one of their reports, and this goes back to the difficulties even categorizing some of his victims as homicides when they are initially found. And it says, quote, with no stab marks or bullet wounds, many of these deaths were not classified as homicides, but attributed to drug overdoses, accidents, or natural causes, end quote. The other thing, too, and look... I'm glad to be here in the garage with my, my buddy, the captain, when I'm in the garage, like to have a cold beer. If I were home right now, I'd be eating some honey nut Cheerios. And I only say that to tell everybody, if you are, if you are eating something, put this down, step aside, either hit pause or stop eating. Cause we're going to have to get into some gross stuff with, with Sam little. He's a, as you already know, he's a despicable, disgusting human being. I don't even know if you can call him a human being. But one of his M.O.s that they put in his template, his blueprint, if you will, was that he would often masturbate while strangling his victims and then dump their bodies. And in fact, he told investigators that he could not rape, would not rape the women because he struggled with erectile dysfunction. Old soft cell. So th his victims oftentimes are not even appearing or, or would appear to be like a rape victim, raped and then murdered. And keep in mind, we touched on some of his disgusting habits the other day and really how much of a monster this guy was. It's not uncommon for a murderer 
even if it's a one-time murder, for a male to kill a woman to cover up a rape, right? Leave no witness. But what we have with Sam Little is completely different. He's, he's sexually assaulting because of the killing, where the, the killing is the prime motive for his excitement. Right. Not raping and then murdering to cover up the rape. This is a whole different kind of monster here. Well, he's getting off on the fact that they can't breathe. Exactly. It's also worth noting here that Sam Little was six foot two inches tall and was well over 200 pounds. He was trained as a boxer. So these women didn't stand a chance against him. Once he got the victims into his vehicle, he would stun or knock them out with a punch to the head and then have his way with them and strangle or suffocate them. There's not a lot of pictures of Sam Little online, but we'll post some of those to our Instagram and Twitter, Facebook, all those. You can find us at truecrimegarage.com, but we'll we'll post some of his older mug shots, and you can see he's, he's, he's a lot different of the version mm-hmm. of the crippled old man that you see later on and, and the, the Sam Little that we've all come to know this crippled old man. Yeah. By the time we see him on TV and we are able to hear of his horrible crimes that he committed, he's in a wheelchair and he looks like an old, a sick old man by this point. And you're going to go, Nick, you're lying. There's no way he was six two, over 200 pounds, but trust me, he was listen to this. Okay. Investigators say, we know he punched one victim with such force that when he struck this victim in the abdomen, He broke her spine. This is from the autopsy report of Audrey Nelson, one of Little's 1989 L.A. victims. Quote, injuries throughout her body revealed pre-death blunt force trauma consistent with having been punched repeatedly in the head. Nelson suffered severe bruising underneath her skin. This bruising extended into her chest muscles, stomach, and abdomen. In addition, the hard bone of her spine was crushed during a blow to the upper central abdomen with deep bruising to the stomach itself. It was a sign of considerable force. Like many of Little's victims, Audrey's body displayed drag marks. Very early in Little's serial killer career, he stopped bothering to bury or even hide his kill, just discarding the corpses on roadsides, in alleys, ditches, parking lots, ravines, what have you wherever he happened to find himself. Think about this, though, too. His early victims, and we see this a lot of times with serial killers, where they will go to great lengths, they will put a a great deal of effort into concealing their crimes early on. And then after a while, they start to get confident. They start to believe, you know what, I can get away with this. I'm smarter than the police. So I think we have a little bit of that going on in Sam Little's case. We also have the situation of he's often high or drunk or both when he's committing these horrible acts. So he might not be in such a great physical state to be able to conceal the bodies and then factor in the location of the murders. A lot of these victims were in L.A. or were in bigger cities where, you know what, driving around with the victim in your car is a risk in itself. His M.O., which worked time and time again, often was get rid of the body as quick as possible and get 
at a Dodge. Get as far away from the body as I can. I'm so tired of these serial killers getting like really cool names like Son of Sam or BTK. Sam Little should go by soft serve because he couldn't make it hard. Right. Well, they did. They had a, here's another disgusting uh, part of the case. They actually called him the choke and stroke <laughs> killer for Ew. a time. You know, sometimes these guys get weird monikers and nicknames and, and sometimes it comes from the media. Sometimes it comes from the general public or law enforcement. I don't really know where this one came from. I'm guessing it's law enforcement because this is something that likely the media and the general public would not know from, from reading the newspaper. But basically what we just went through here, captain is his blueprint, what they're calling the Sam little blueprint. And they're using little's MO and victimology. The LA authorities are to desperately try to figure out what else little had done, no matter what state it took place in. But again, because they couldn't match anything else up on CODIS with his DNA, they're kind of blindly searching in the dark for more victims. So basically, they had to notify every law enforcement agency around the entire country. Go ahead and Google that number to see how many uh, law enforcement agencies there there are in this country. And say, hey, do you have any violent, unsolved murders of women, probably sex workers, drug addicts, or homeless with strangulation as the cause of death between the years of, let's say, 1960 and 2012? I mean, can you imagine trying to put together this list? This is an enormous task. It would be easier to figure out a way to get him to talk. But of course, we know that when he's first arrested, he refused to cooperate. He did not even cop out to the three women with whom his DNA had been found. When he did talk to detectives about his history of arrests, he said they were for shoplifting and petty thefts. No mention of nearly 100 dead women he would eventually be linked to. Well, and they poked and prodded him, but they couldn't get him aroused. After he was charged with those three counts of murder for the 87 and 89 homicides in L.A., in April of 2013, L.A. homicide detectives called in the big guns. They get the FBI involved. And they bring in analyst Christy Palazzolo from the FBI's ViCap. They wanted help compiling cases that could be attributed to Sam Little. They wanted the FBI to do some digging into his background to try to reconstruct his life, which could lead to more victims. So they could have kind of a roadmap of his life, of where he was at what times. ViCap maintains a database of known crimes and categorizes MOs and other characteristics like manner of death and victimology that can help locate similar crimes and thus link perpetrators. They knew Little's MO, so Palazzolo started digging. In June of 2013, she issued a ViCap alert asking detectives across the nation to check their files for unsolved strangulation murders of vulnerable women. Soon, her timeline of Little's life became 150 pages. She started cross-referencing events and locations in Little's life that overlapped with crimes in the ViCap database. And now, years later, the FBI is still digging.
you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch. Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. 
With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious, from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code TrueCrimeGarage50 at Factormeals.com slash TrueCrimeGarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we are back. Cheers, mates. Cheers. We got Colonel Computer and uh, Sam Soft Serve Little. <laughs> Cheers to the people in the back. Those are the ones that count the most. This is going to take us to the 2014 trial, the murder trial for the three murders that he committed in Los Angeles. Now, prosecutors armed themselves with information about possible other crimes in other jurisdictions lining up witnesses to testify against Sam Little, such as the survivors of his attacks in Mississippi and San Diego. These women testified that they remembered him. They remembered his large hands and how he beat and choked them. Investigators in California were able to link Sam Little's to crimes in 24 states. But in a 56-year life of crime, he had served only about 10 years in prison. He was suspected of multiple murders, but never convicted of a murder. Well, good news, Captain. That all will end in 2014. Well, I don't want to sound like a pessimist, and I guess it's better to be caught late than never. Yes, and this is one of those situations where it's going to be some kind of answer for the families, and we're talking about a lot of families in this case. So there is some good that comes out of it. You feel like you lost, right? I know that investigators and prosecutors feel like they lost all around in the Sam Little case, but there is some good. You are bringing some closure, giving some answers to these many families that were just left guessing for many years. Remember, some of these victims were Jane Doe's for a long period of time or still are Jane Doe's. So it only took the jury two hours to convict Sam Little of the murders of Guadalupe, Carol, and Audrey. He was sentenced to three life terms in prison without the possibility of parole. As his sentence was pronounced, he shouted out loud in the court that he was innocent, even though they had his DNA in all three of these cases. Well, he's an idiot, so. Yes, yes, he is. Now, Let's bring in a very important character, a very important person in this story. It's Texas Ranger Jimmy Holland. This is an experienced investigator with training in psychopathy who specialized in interrogation techniques. 
This did not mean that he was the guy that would come into an interrogation room and physically abuse the person that he was questioning or take out his service revolver and put it to the back of the the individual's head or the suspect's head. Yeah, or taking his pencil and shoving it in the dude's dick hole. Or even dropping massive folders of daunting-looking files on the desk and glaring at the suspect. Instead, he had a whole different method, which I think proves to be much better. Instead, he calmly appealed to the ego and used the carrot approach, bribing his suspects with little concessions that would incentivize them to cooperate. Now, let's think about Sam Little. He's locked up for life. He's an old man. Three life terms in prison without the possibility of parole. You are going to die in prison, sir. Now, can you help us out at all? Do you want to sit in your cell all day long, or do you want to sit in this room and talk to me? Well, in December of 2017, Jimmy Holland was teaching an interrogation class pertaining to questioning of psychopaths and sociopaths at a police conference in Florida. He started chatting with a crime analyst. This was Angela Williamson, a 41-year-old Australian with a doctorate in molecular biology and expertise in forensics. She was employed by VICAP and a Justice Department initiative to train and fund local police in sexual assault investigations. During Holland and Williamson's conversation, two detectives from Florida came up and asked them if they knew anything about a California serial killer who was refusing to talk. These detectives suspected Sam Little in an unsolved Florida case, maybe more than one. Holland was intrigued. Well, yeah, you'd be intrigued because a killer like this and a, a nomad, really, his victim list could be a significant number. Yes, exactly. You hit the nail on the head, my friend. And this is a situation, though, Holland wants to get involved, but he cannot without a Texas case. So he started thinking about this Sam little guy and the fact that he wouldn't talk and several jurisdictions seem to suspect him in many murders. So then he called Williamson in March of 2018 and asked if they could do something about this guy. Williamson put Holland on hold and asked another cubicle occupant. This is our friend Paula Zolo, who we've already introduced. If she had heard of Sam little and of course, boom, she sure had. Palazzolo said, tell him about the Odessa case, Odessa, Texas case. This was a case that she was sure would be attributed to Sam Little. And in fact, 12 of the potential victims in the VICAP analyst had put on her list of potential Sam Little murders were murders that took place in the great state of Texas. So Holland was definitely intrigued by the Odessa case. This was 38-year-old Denise Christie Brothers, who was found dead in 1994. Now, per the L.A. Times, quote, like Little's L.A. victims, she had been strangled and left partially clothed in a vacant lot. Police records showed Little had interaction with local police around the time of the killing, end quote. Holland believed that he could get Sam Little to talk, but we, we have to remind the listener that Sam Little was in prison at this point for already four years, and he was over 80 years old. So Holland headed to California, 
to assist in these investigations to see if he could get Sam Little to talk. When he gets there, the L.A. detectives inform Holland of what he was up against, and they tell him that Sam Little despised law enforcement and that he was free to use that to his advantage if he could. The detectives also said that Sam Little hated being called a rapist, though his semen was found on the clothing of two of his victims, and prosecutors labeled him a sexual predator. Perhaps Holland thought Sam Little saw a distinction between rape and becoming aroused during a strangulation. That was something that he thought he might be able to work with when interrogating Sam Little. Now, it's worth pointing out that one of the detectives Little despised was Mitzi Roberts, who we've already talked about, of the LAPD, who had noted the pattern in the 87 and 89 bodies found and made the CODIS connection to Sam Little. She and Beth Silverman, the L.A. County Deputy District Attorney, were the women who finally put Sam Little away. So their theory was that Sam Little hated women, of course, but also hated being bested by two women and would be much more inclined to talk to a man, potentially, about his crimes. Definitely seems like Sam Little has some kind of intimacy issues with females, and so if he's going to open up and make himself vulnerable, he, he's probably not going to do that with a female. Well, and obviously to kill this many women, you have to hate women. And that's what I think is part of his MO here, that he hates women in general. It will be May of 2018 when Holland sits down with Sam Little. Of course, we have the FBI listening in the next room. Now, the formerly big man, Sam Little, was now in a wheelchair, and he's still sharp, though, at this time, and was interested in the Texas Rangers' motives for the visit. Holland gave Little some peanut M&Ms and tried to, you know, butter him up. But Little told Holland that he had no interest in helping law enforcement close any cold cases because he had been convicted on fake evidence and lies. And so he pushed back quite a bit. But we have Holland, who is smart and patient. And then he, through conversation and through this visit and other visits, started to earn the trust of Sam Little. Soon, they would be calling each other Sammy and Jimmy, almost like they're buddies. It's a comedy duo. Holland nudged Sam Little to take control of his story. He pointed out that no one knew his name, but he could change that. This is from the LA Times. Has Sam Little killed people? Yeah, come on. We both know that, Holland said. The question is, does Sam Little want to talk about those killings, and does he want to define what really happened? Sam Little studied the ranger. Quote, hookers is all you're going to find, Sam said. Holland could tell the killer was testing him. Holland shrugged. Do you see me tearing up? See, he's almost putting himself out there like, yeah, I identify with you. I agree with you that, yeah, you only killed people that of, of a lesser value of what that's what Sam Little's saying. Right. And the detective here, the Texas Ranger, excuse me, is smart enough to play along. He's playing to his ego. He knows that if he can play to his ego, Sam will likely open up and a whole new can of worms is going to come out of every conversation that they have. This is when Holland takes the chance to mention that Odessa case from Texas. And it seemed to motivate Sam Little to start talking. 
Well, don't you think a lot of these guys want the truth to be out there or their truth to be out there? Well, and he also has no more appeals at this time, too. So it's really like he's got nothing to lose from spilling the beans. He might feel like he has something to gain. And, of course, in any jailhouse snitch situation, here he's telling on himself. But, of course, you, as a detective, you know going into that that they are only doing this for some benefit to them. Can I figure out what the benefit is that he is seeking and kind of play to that? In fact, he opens up so much about this Odessa case, he bluntly tells them exactly what took place, how he picked up this Denise Brothers, what kind of car he was driving, what he used. He used crack and black tar heroin for Denise to get him, get her to join him. He then pulls into an alley and grabbed her by the throat and tossed her over the back seat of his vehicle like a doll where he strangled her with one hand while masturbating with the other. She fought back. This is where one of his um, statements comes from that is more well-known today in some of his confessions. But he said that he would make these encounters as long and slow as possible because the act of killing was synonymous with sex for Sam Little. So he's often letting his victims repeatedly regain consciousness. He said that the last time that Denise came to, her head was in his lap. Sam Little said her eyes big as marbles. Sam says, I told her, I own you. You're mine forever. She cried and I kissed her. I kissed her tears from her face. And then squeeze the life from her. Little knew exactly what vacant lot he had dumped Denise in. And they're able to take the details that he states during this interrogation, during this basically what's a conversation at this point, and match these details up to the known information they have in the case. Well, Sam Little is going to tell law enforcement that he stopped counting his killings at 84 victims. And that's a very large number of victims. And then very oddly, Captain, he goes into detail about his first murder and his last murder. And his first murder was a woman that he met in a bar in Miami on New Year's Eve, 1970. This was a victim that we spoke about yesterday, Mary Brosley, in our trailer for this week's episodes. Remember, she remained at Jane Doe until she was finally identified after a Florida detective had entered her information into NamUs and got a match to a Massachusetts woman missing part of her pinky with a surgically repaired hip and dyed blonde hair. So even though they identified her, this good detective did good work with the NamUs program to identify her through dental records. They still had no idea who had killed her, but they knew it was a homicide because she was one of his victims that were buried. And that it was in this interview that they learned that Brosley was killed by Sam Little. Well, we've seen a lot of serial killers that don't want to talk at all or the information that they give to law enforcement is so misleading. But everything that Sam is saying, this is would give you hope, I think, as law enforcement, that you're going to uncover more answers for more victims, and that's going to 
lead to closing some of these cases. Yes, and he says that his last murder victim was in 2005. This would be seven years before he was identified by that CODIS hit. And this was a murder from Tupelo, Mississippi. Now, this is all interesting because he gives detailed accounts of the first and last murders, but we know that there's going to unfortunately be a whole lot of carnage between those two bookended murders. Now, after getting him to talk, of course, law enforcement's confident at this point that Sam Little is willing to talk about his other crimes, his other murders. So what they end up doing here, Captain, is they get a letter from a Texas prosecutor pledging not to pursue the death penalty for Sam Little for any of the Texas murders that he confesses to. And Little agreed to start talking about more murders. But again, remember, he wants something in trade. He wants a transfer to a Texas prison facility. That same day after these negotiations, he confesses to 17 more murders, all female victims. He starts off with really an emotionless tally provided by Sam Little. He simply says, Jackson, Mississippi, one victim. Cincinnati, Ohio, one victim. Phoenix, Arizona, three. Las Vegas, one. And so on and so on. Most of these victims weren't on the FBI's list. Palazzolo resorted to Google searches as they tried to keep up with all of these grim confessions coming from their prisoner. Well, like I said, law enforcement has to be optimistic because they're making some headway with this serial killer. And as of mid-November 2018, law enforcement has been told by Sam Little that he he's responsible for over 90-some homicides. Yeah, that this was an announcement actually to the general public where law enforcement is saying that Sam Little has confessed to murdering dozens of women and he might be linked to as many as 90 homicides. This will be because they're probably going to need the public's help at some point. Now, two weeks later, the FBI announced that the VICAP team have confirmed 34 of his murder confessions, saying that Sam Little wasn't making any of this stuff up. Little claimed to have killed 93 women between 1970 and 2005 in 18 or 19 states, ranging from all the way to Florida and to California. More than 30 of his confessions remained unmatched. They have yet to be linked to any known victims. This as of late last year. The FBI webpage has a list of these and the details and drawings, which we will get to in a minute, furnished by Sam Little. Some of the confessions were no surprise whatsoever. He confessed to the murder of Melinda LaPree, who we already talked about, who was murdered, and he had not been indicted for after a grand jury vote. He also confessed to that old Gainesville case that he had eluded conviction on. Patricia Mount was her name. Eventually, Sam Little admitted to killing Carol, Guadalupe, and Audrey in L.A. in 87 and 89, which, of course, we already knew based off of DNA and other circumstances that he did kill those women. And then, of course, he confessed to 88 more. Little said to the L.A. Times that he confessed in the end because he knew his time was running out and he wanted to help the families get closure and perhaps exonerate 
someone wrongfully accused. Others said that Little clearly wanted credit for what he had done. The New York Times said, quote, investigators who have spoken to him say he also appears to enjoy the attention he is receiving as he recites details only a killer would know after decades of discussing them with no one. Whatever his motives, Beth Silverman, the L.A. prosecutor who locked Little up for good in 2014, said that his confessions were hardly a victory for law enforcement. Rather, she said, it's simply a tally of the carnage he caused. So much more to get to. If you need more True Crime Garage in your earballs, check out our bonus show called Off the Record. You can do so by going to truecrimegarage.com and clicking on the Off the Record link. It's a every other week show, $5 a month on Stitcher Premium. I think you're going to enjoy it. Colonel? Over 100 episodes of that great show in the back catalog, too. So check that out and check out all that Stitcher Premium has to offer. Until tomorrow. Be good, be kind, and don't let it. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 